Uh, first, I just want to simply apologize if you guys are in the back today uh, with no lights on. Uh, we are blessed to be at the Majestic, but sometimes the Majestic has uh, some malfunctions going on. So therefore, our lighting um, is, has been a little unique last week and this week, uh, but the hope is by next week, you guys in the back will actually be able to read your Bibles. It'll be crazy. Uh, but thank you, Katie, for reading. We're going to be in Luke 12 today as we continue um, our series through the summer, uh, looking at the parables of Jesus. And I want to begin with a question. What does it mean to be rich? What does it mean to be rich? One of my favorite movies growing up um, was a Disney movie called Blank Check. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> and so this is, the prim- this is the premise of the movie. You got this little 11-year-old boy named Preston Waters, and he's riding his bike one day, and of course, you've got this recently out of jail bank robber who's driving his car and just runs over the kid's bike. And so this bank robber, in a fear of not knowing what to do, just says, okay, here, I'll give you a check for whatever the bike is worth. I don't know how much it's worth, so I'll just leave the check blank. And Preston, he's like, oh, blank check. Okay, here we go. And of course, like any 11-year-old, he writes $1 million. Goes to the bank. Banks in that day must have been real weird because they actually cashed the check. So they give Preston a bag of $1 million. And what follows is six days of just insane spending. I mean, he buys this amazing castle-like house. He's got a room full of TVs and any kind of entertainment system you could ever want with the speakers that literally make the house shake. He's got a water slide that goes from one room in the house to the pool in the backyard. I mean, he's got this weird ball-like cage that rolls around his backyard, as well as mini golf, as well as little go-karts. He even has a limo service. And I remember watching this film as a little kid and being like, oh my gosh, I know who I want to be. I want to be Preston Waters. Because in my mind, I was like, that is what it would look like to be rich. That is what it would look like to have like the made life. It's also crazy to think, I mean, this movie was made in 1994. They're saying you get a lot for your money in 1994 with a million dollars. And see, obviously, as we grow and mature, our thoughts of of what I would do with riches or what it means to be rich starts to change shape and change form. The the ideal as an 11-year-old watching that movie versus a 29-year-old thinking about it is very different. But I think at, at the root of it, a lot of those desires for comfort or the desires for image or the desires for pleasure are still there when I think of what it means to be rich. So when you think of being rich, what pops in your head? What do you envision your life looking like? Do you envision having that house that you always wanted to purchase, that dream home? Or is it you envision having that vacation home at the coast or in Black Butte? Is it that dream car? Is it that Tesla? Or is it I just want a massive wardrobe with anything and everything to wear with a hundred pairs of shoes? Or is it simply a comfort that you're like, I can buy anything I want really because I know it's not going to actually affect my bank account that much? What do you think of 
what does it mean to be rich? Yet, yet what if I told you that the image that we get in a movie like Blank Check, or realistically, even the thoughts we have in our head when we think, what does it mean to be rich, is actually not at all what it means to be rich. What if I told you that being rich actually has nothing to do with the number in your bank account, or your 401k, or the size of your house, or the number of cars you have, or the number of shoes you have? What if being rich actually had no monetary value to it whatsoever? What if when we think of being rich, as we often think about this worldly richness, what if it's not rich at all? Rather, what if that is a richness that is fleeting? And ultimately, the parable that we look at today is Jesus getting at that very question. What does it mean to be rich? And we'll realize today that a richness does not come from what you have, but richness actually comes from who has you. And it's a beautiful, freeing message. So to begin, we want to set the stage for this parable. And so we see that Jesus, in the beginning of 12, says Jesus is, is surrounded by thousands of people. So it's just craziness going on, and Jesus tries to focus in on his disciples. And he's telling them, okay, what does it look like to be faithful in the midst of persecution? Because he's saying it's going to come. And he's talking about the importance of being faithful to the end. And so he has his disciples around him in this conversation. And seemingly out of nowhere, this man stands up and calls to Jesus for assistance. In verse 13, he says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. Which again, this statement seems very odd and out of place. And in some sense, the, the yelling to Jesus in the midst of a crowd does feel odd. But the question itself is actually one that, that rabbis and teachers would get from time to time. Since they are the ones that are fluent in the law, then it's normal that they would go to a teacher to resolve this kind of situation. And so the younger brother comes and says, hey, Jesus, I want the inheritance that is mine. I want my brother to give it to me. And really, all he's looking for Jesus to do is to affirm that and say, okay, like, yeah, that, that inheritance, it is yours. Go tell your brother I've said so. Yet in, in typical Jesus fashion, he actually redirects the conversation. He goes from a trivial matter of inheritance to one of the heart. And Jesus responds, man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? It's not that Jesus doesn't have the right or the ability to answer. But ultimately, he's saying, I, I care about something more than really this trivial matter. And in verse 15, he says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So ultimately, as Jesus looks at this man, he's saying, what you're pursuing, this life found in your possessions, this life found in your inheritance, it's a lie. What you are looking for, you will not find in this inheritance you're striving for. 
His inheritance is in a way saying to him, hey, you need me. Like if you want your best life now, that's what you need. You need me, your inheritance. To be happy, come to me. He's like, if you lose me, you'll actually lose my best life. That's what the inheritance is telling this man. And Jesus actually counters that. And says, do you not realize that that is a lie? Do not listen to it. And then he tells us the parable. The parable that really hones in on this idea. And the rest of the time, we're going to be unpacking these two questions that are also in your branch notes. What makes someone a fool? And what makes someone rich? And we're not talking about a worldly rich, but a rich that surpasses, understanding that surpasses this world. And so the parable is, a a land of a rich man, in verse 16, produced plentifully. And he said to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So the story is, this farmer has an amazing produce one year. And just is more prosperous than he knows what to do with. And so he's got these barns. And they're not, they're too small to hold all of his goods. So instead of building more of these small barns on his property that would take up more land, he's like, oh, I'm just going to tear down the barns I have and build bigger and bigger barns to store all my goods. And I'm going to store all my goods so that really I can take the next chunk of years off. I really just want to sit back and relax, retire early. So I can eat, drink, and be merry. And yet in the midst of this, God comes into the picture. And only says, you fool. You foolish farmer. Do you not realize that tonight your soul will be required of you. Ultimately saying, do you not realize it's night? You will die. And what is going to happen to all that you've prepared? What is going to happen to all that you have? It's a sobering parable. It doesn't leave you comforted by any means. But it sparks the question, what makes this man a fool? Or as Piper says, he says, and not only is he a fool, but he loses his soul. He is literally and tragically a damned fool. So what makes someone a fool? First off, it's important to note that it's not a bad thing that this man's land produced plentifully. It's not a bad thing that your business succeeds and your revenue stream increases. It's not a bad thing to get a improvement to your house. It's not a bad thing for your investments to increase in value. It's not a bad thing to get a promotion at work. You see, it's not that in and of itself that makes a man a fool. I mean, God is saying we actually we need productive farmers. And we know in, in a culture that loves organic produce, we need productive farmers out there in the world. So why is he a fool? 
He's a fool for what he plans to do with his wealth, for what he ultimately plans to do with his treasure, where he's placing his treasure. You see, he's so caught up in the pursuit of the bigger and the better. And in the process of his pursuit, he actually neglects to invest in the things that ultimately matter. I mean, he's ultimately saying, my treasure is to sit back, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. He's like, that is my ultimate goal. That is my treasure. And therefore, I I need these barns to make it happen. His effort was so tied up in improving his property so that ultimately he could kind of just sit back and be lazy and be gluttonous and just enjoy the pleasures of life. And for some of us, we might actually be asking, well, what's really wrong with that? Because ultimately, as I look at my life, like, that's, that's what I want to do. Like, I, I want to make money so that I can retire early and I can sit back and enjoy life. What's wrong with that? Well, nothing. If we do not have an infinitely valuable God, and if there is no such thing as the resurrection. I mean, Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 15, if the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. And yet, we know that there is a God, an infinitely valuable God. And we know that there is a resurrection, that all people one day will be resurrected, either to spend eternity with God or eternity apart from God. So therefore, what you do on this earth actually matters. The rich fool errs not in having riches, but in how he uses his riches. He fails to show that he treasures God more than he treasures his riches. He is earth rich, but God poor. I think for many of us, this, this parable is countercultural to where we're at and what we're being told daily. I mean, we live in the more, more, more culture. We live in the charge it culture. We, like the farmers, desire bigger and better. Not only that, we live in an I want it now culture. I mean, think about it. If you look at a product and you're like, are you serious? I'm going to have to wait a week for that. Oh, I'm going to go to Amazon, two-day shipping for free. Like, that's the mindset we have. And if it takes three days, we're actually ticked off. And I'm like, I'm going to send Amazon a letter because I'm like, are you serious? I had to wait three days, not two. Like, that's the mindset we function. We want it now. We want more things. We live in a culture where we actually want to look better off than we are. And so we'll spend and spend and spend to, to look the part. We so easily wrap our identity and worth in what we own. I mean, think about how quickly we lose our contentment and really start to covet people by just looking at the lives of those around us. It doesn't take long or that long of scrolling on Instagram to start to judge other people and the life that they have. I mean, I even see it in my own life and a desire for a home, and it's easy to look at peers my age and be like, oh, I wish I had what they had. I wish I was able to be in that situation financially. 
I'm thinking, oh, if I just had a little more money, then I could have that house. But I know myself. Because once I got that house, then I would want to add on that deck in the backyard. And then I would want to improve the kitchen and improve the bathroom. And then to get that Traeger grill. Like it would just continue on and on and on. Because ultimately, I think for so many of us, it's a desire for more things. A desire to be prosperous through what I have. And ultimately not through who has me. You see, it's the comparison game, the striving for bigger and better. And this leads to living above our means so that we, like the farmer, can, can be like, yeah, my lifestyle is eat, drink, and be merry. I mean, as I was processing through this, this week, I wanted to see what does that look like in the life of America today? Did you know that the average debt for an individual American today is $38,000? And that doesn't include a mortgage on a house. So if you're a married couple, that's theoretically the average debt is $76,000. And it actually, there's a stat that says 20% of Americans spend between 50 to 100% of their monthly income on debt repayment. We strive to have the image of the farmer, even if we know we can't actually have it, just charge it, just put it on a car. And yet you see in comparison that on average, Christians actually only tithe 2.5% of their income to the church. It's a crazy discrepancy to think through as Jesus famously said, you cannot serve both God and money. And we see that on full display in our culture. For many of us, I think whether we want to admit it or not, our mindset is, hey, once I get where I want to go, once I get that paycheck or once I get those riches, then I'll be rich toward God. Then I'll start giving back. I'm going to give back to the giver of every good gift once I get enough of those good gifts. Yet I just need to be settled and comfortable first. But you see, that is the lie that we so easily fall into. That's really getting back to what Jesus originally said to the man of saying, hey, this inheritance isn't going to solve your problems because life is not about what you have. Yet for us, we think, well, I'll give once I actually get. Yeah, I think it's stark in reality to look at our lives in comparison to the world. And the reality is if you make more than $32,000 a year, you're actually already in the top 1% of the world. Like it's staggering that when we think of traditional definitions of wealth by worldly standards, the majority of us have already reached it. We're already there. And yet we still are longing for more. Because ultimately we realize that it's, it's, it's fleeting. That as I get, I want. As I get, I want. The never-ending cycle. I mean, Jesus is ultimately saying, in the pursuit of riches, as the world defines it, you become a fool. For as this parable says, you never know when your soul will be required of you. You never know when you will breathe your last, and then what will come of all that you have on this earth. As Jared Wilson says, he says, when the day of accounting comes, 
when the kingdom's currency is requested for entrance into paradise, wealthy, fun-loving, permanent vacation-taking souls come up totally empty-handed. So the question we need to ask this morning, it's a sobering, hard question. Am I living like the fool? Are you living like the fool? Are your ambitions foolish? What are your treasures? And where are you storing them? Are your comfort or your possessions, is that the ultimate treasure you'd long for? Or is it God? And I know this isn't the only method to evaluate it, but one way to even think about it is to look at your spending habits and say, what does my spending show about where my treasure is? And oftentimes I know for me it's comfort, pleasure, food, entertainment. What does it show about our lives? Are we being earth rich or pursuing that? Or are we pursuing a richness toward God, a richness in God? Country singer Christian Bush in his hit song, Trailer Hitch. In his chorus, he says, never seen a hearse with a trailer hitch. No, I've never seen a hearse with a trailer hitch. And we we laugh, we think that's funny, but at the same time, I think all of us deep down are kind of like, yeah, but what if I lucked out? What if I paid that little bit of extra and my hearse actually came with the trailer hitch? What would I bring with me? We have that mindset. You see, this is really a call for us to evaluate our lives and ask the question, what am I living for? Am I striving to be earth rich while being completely content to be God poor? See, our hearts are so vulnerable to the feeling of having lots of stuff or having lots of things means I'm fully alive. We are prone to equate having to being. And so just fill in the blank. If I had blank, then I'd be alive. What is that blank for you? If it's not God, you will never find life. You will never be truly alive. Yet for many of us, if if I had X amount of dollars in my bank account, then I'd be good. If I had that house, if I had that car, if I had that outfit, that pair of shoes, that computer, then I would be alive. Yet for many of us throughout our life, that if I had blank, that blank has changed because we've actually gotten it. And yet we realize that in the midst of actually getting it, we just create a new new scenario and say, well, now I need this, and then I will be alive. Yet Jesus so wisely said, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Lasting happiness, lasting contentment, lasting pleasure, lasting richness does not come from what you have, but it actually comes from who has you. You see, so Jesus takes this parable and starts shifting our understanding of what it actually means to be 
rich. Again, Jesus isn't saying that, hey, this wealth that this man has in and of itself is a bad thing. But he does change our perception to say, at the end of the day, this richness that we're looking at isn't really rich when we look at the broad, big picture of life. And that leads us to the next question. What makes someone rich? Or to really juxtapose the fool, you could ask, what makes someone wise? Because Jesus ends this parable with a sobering statement. He says, so is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. So he's saying that this parable, yes, it's a parable, but it is true for those that lay up treasures for themselves and completely bypass God. The fool lays up treasures for himself, and the wise man lays up treasures for God. It actually says he is rich toward God. See, in the currency of heaven, you are either rich toward God or you are impoverished. There's no in between. So the question is, what does it mean to be rich toward God? Because obviously that's kind of a unique statement that we often don't use that language. It also means life is not about having things, but life is about knowing God. As Jesus actually said in his high priestly prayer, he said, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So being rich toward God is actually the opposite of laying up treasures for oneself. It's the opposite of saying, I've, ma- I've been made for things, and actually saying, I've been made for God. It's the opposite of thinking that I will find the abundance of life in the things that I have versus the abundance of life in actually my abundance in God. Being rich toward God actually means it's luring us away from the riches of the world, from the riches of, of stuff, into the riches of God, the blessing that God has given us. Jesus is saying that, you know what? It's not ultimately about the prosperous fields, but it's about the mindset behind it. Because I think for us, the question is, well, well, if the guy just had a different mindset about it, would he be okay? If God had been the man's treasure, what would he have done differently? First off, I think he'd say something like this. Well, God, all of this is yours. You were the one that blessed me. You were the one that actually made these fields prosperous. It's you and you alone. You are the giver of every good gift. So please show me how to express that, that you are actually my treasure and not simply the things of this world. I mean, later in this very chapter, Jesus tells us, he said, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. Pretty much he's saying, hey, use your money bags often. Give them out so that you're not just gaining this old money bag. He says, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. 
For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is a sobering truth once again. Because if you are not rich toward God, regardless of how much money you have, he says you are a fool. Ultimately, as Piper said, you are a damned fool. You are not rich. Because you're actually looking to other things for your treasure. Things that are fleeting and going to ultimately and always fail you. Think of your life or think of your pursuits as, as a cup. And we have these two cups. And so often we take this cup that's golden. And that's what we're like, I want the golden cup. The reality is this golden cup has cracks all over it. And so all our lives, we're just pouring water after water after water into it, just hoping that if we keep pouring fast enough and quick enough, that, that it'll stay in the cup. But the reality is in our pursuit of that life, it's just constantly fleeting and constantly pouring more and more and more, never actually finding its fill. But for us, it's golden, it's bedazzled, it sparkles, and so we want to pursue it. Yet ultimately, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm calling you to something different. My cup might be a, a clay cup. It's not bedazzled, it's not bejeweled with anything. But guess what? It's whole. There's no cracks, no blemishes. And not only that, I'm not asking you to take these cups of water and pour it in. But guess what? I'm actually going to be the one to pour into your cup because I am the spring of living water that will never fail, that will never run dry, and therefore your cup will be constantly overflowing because I'm the one that's constantly pouring into you. Which cup would you rather have? I mean, one's glamorous, and one might seem rather mundane. But it's actually this one that serves the purpose of actually being a good cup. One you'd actually desire to have for the purpose of a cup. You see, being rich toward God doesn't necessarily mean a glamorous life. And I really think that's a grace of God because otherwise we're pursuing the glamorous life time and time again. Being rich toward God often means it can be rather normal and bland from the outside. But being rich toward God goes into eternity. It doesn't end with just simply our last breath, but it goes on for Christ is eternal. So that leads us to the question, how do we become rich? First and foremost, we go to Jesus. We go to Jesus. Because it is through Jesus and Jesus alone that we can actually be rich toward God. You see, I think for many of us, we might be thinking, well, if the farmer had just done more with what he was given, if he had just given more of his money away, if he had started a nonprofit, if he had started an orphanage, if he just gave money to the less fortunate, started a soup kitchen, then he'd be storing up treasures for doing good things. And hear me, 
it is, it is imperative that we as followers of Christ do good things. I mean, Christ tells us to, to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. Doing good towards your neighbor is loving your neighbor. But you see, if we reach those pearly white gates of paradise and we're asked for the currency of the kingdom so that we can enter, and I say, well, look at all this amazing stuff I've done. Look at all the money. I've given 95% of the money I ever made away. Look at these foundations that have been created. Look at these homes that have been made for the less fortunate. Those are great things. But it's not great things that bring us into the kingdom of God. Isaiah 64 actually says, all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. They're gross, disgusting garments. Yet Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. You see, Christ became poor. Christ humbled himself to the point of death on a cross for you and for you on our behalf. And through that, he made the payments into eternity. The abundance of riches of our inheritance comes from God and through the sacrifice of his son. His blood spilled is our entrance into the kingdom, into the throne room of God. And so ultimately, as we come to the gates of paradise, we don't come saying, hey, look at all that I've done. We actually come and say, I have nothing to offer because I have sold it all for the pearl of great price. Because I have sold it all that I may know Christ. And through him, I have been vested with undeniable and unsearchable riches. Through the grace of God, my Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, he and he alone has purchased me into the fold, into the family of God. Now that is rich. We have been brought into the family of God. We are known by God. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, his grace is free. Hear me though. Following Jesus is costly. It very well could cost you your life. It's going to cost you a lot, but it's worth it because we see that the end result is him. The one that is rich beyond abundance in ways we can't even fathom. The one that brings us into the family of God. So if you're here this morning and you truly want to be rich, not a fleeting richness, but a whole richness, come to Jesus. Come to him and he will not turn you away. In scripture it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Come to Jesus this morning. You see, we get all of Christ for all 
of our nothing. It's an amazing story. And it's true. Becoming rich means we realize that we have nothing on our own and we have everything in Christ. And through Christ's sacrifice, we actually get to experience the infinitely valuable God. We realize that our worth is not wrapped up in our monetary value or it's attached to my name, but rather our worth and and richness is wrapped up in who we are through Christ. And scripture says that in Christ, we are beloved and chosen by God. 2 Philippians 2.13, adopted into God's family, Ephesians 1.5, made alive in Christ, raised with Christ, and seated with Christ. Ephesians 2.5 and 6, we have an inheritance kept in heaven, an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, never fade. 1 Peter 1, we have a faith that is of greater worth than gold. 1 Peter 1, we are co-heirs with Christ. Romans 8, and we cannot be separated from God's love. Romans 8, once again. That's just a small smattering of who we are in God. And we get much more than that when we get to step into being rich toward God. You see, who cares about worldly wealth that's here today and gone tomorrow when we can have all of that? when we can actually be made right with our creator and come face to face with him and have him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You see, earth rich and God poor leads to death. Yet God rich always leads to life. We meditate on the words of Paul that says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. It's counting all things as rubbish in comparison to knowing Christ. That's what it means to be rich toward God. And the reality is as we realize this and as this becomes a reality in our life, therefore how we look at life radically changes because no longer do we allow our possessions to put a death grip on our life. We're actually allowing to put a loose hand onto them. It means we can actually be sacrificial in our generosity because we see that God was sacrificial with his life. It means you're actually able to embrace the words of Jesus that it is better to give than receive. And again, it's not a giving so that we receive something, but it's ultimately a giving because we already have received everything. I can hold loosely to all that life has to offer because I have the one that has held tightly to me. You see, we realize ultimately our motivations change. We care less about pursuing our own kingdom because we're already in the kingdom of God. We, we stop pursuing a kingdom that will perish and crumble as soon as I actually perish for a kingdom that is built with Christ as the cornerstone, that is eternal and will never fail, never, never fall short, and who I get to consider my home. So let us be people that strive to be rich in the sense that God calls us to, an an eternal richness, a richness that surpasses the greatest treasure we can ever fathom. And let's turn to Jesus every day, for he is the giver of every good gift. 
See, for our richness does not come from what we have, but it ultimately comes from who has us. 